we do have a number of visitors tonight, and we want you to know that you're always welcome, and we appreciate your being here. Occasionally, when we see you walk in the door, we may not recognize you, but we want a little time to introduce ourselves to you, let you know that we appreciate your being here. Tonight, I want to discuss a passage from Mark chapter 7, where there was a criticism of Christ. And I think it's valuable, as you and I realize, that we live in a world today that has decided, just like they did in the first century, that it is appropriate and it is okay to criticize what our Lord has taught. In fact, if you look in our society today, when you look at what the Lord has said, many people are saying just the opposite and are saying that we need to change our views, that we need to be more accepting and opening to other alternative lifestyles, to other alternative behaviors. And I felt like it was appropriate for us to look at it and see how sometimes religious people can go awry as they try to criticize our Lord. As you begin, I want to begin with the Pharisees who were a special party of Jews in the first century. And they felt it appropriate to criticize Christ and did so often. For instance, if you go to Mark chapter 2, one of the first things that they do is to criticize him for eating with tax collectors and sinners. Mark records it happened as they were dining at Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? You see, they didn't think that anyone who was a good Jew should at any time associate with a person who was a sinner, and they held out the tax collectors as being among the worst of the sinners. It's not long in Mark chapter 2 that they again criticize Jesus. They criticize his disciples for eating grain on the Sabbath day. Mark again records that happened as they went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. As they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You see, what they were doing is they would pull the head of the grain and they put it in their hand and they would rub it together to uh, refine it a little bit to have grain that they could put in their mouths. And they said whenever they do that rubbing of their hands together, they're doing work. And so they criticized the disciples of the Lord. In Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, they also criticized him for healing on the Sabbath day. Luke records that it happened on another Sabbath that he sat at the synagogue and taught and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. That really just tells you that what they're doing is they're looking at anything that he does and anything that doesn't fit with their teaching, they're going to criticize Luke goes on to say in verse 8, But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. 
And he arose and stood, and then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath to do good or do evil, to save a life or destroy? And when he had looked around at them at all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. They believed that they had the right to criticize what he said and what he did. Well, I was always taught when I was young that when everybody criticizes you, always consider the source. Some people who criticize you are doing so because they want to help you be better. That's what's called constructive criticism. On the other hand, there are some people who are going to criticize you regardless of what you do, regardless of the way you teach, regardless of how you act. And the Pharisees and the scribes had decided in their minds that they didn't like Jesus. They didn't like his popularity among the common people. And so they, on numerous occasions, decided to criticize him. Well, now we come to Mark chapter 7. A very interesting passage that really describes, going all the way through verse 23, how this event created another criticism. But I want you to notice how the Lord looks at them and addresses their criticism. He's going to point out that they have a ritual, but it's not a religion. Then he's going to point out that they have a tradition, but it's not based on truth. He's going to point out they have a corruption that needs correcting. And so let's look at that as we go through this passage. First of all, let's look at Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Brother Cain has already read to us verses 2 and 5. But I want to read it all so that you can get the full context. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defile, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there were many other things which they received in whole, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with bread with unwashed hands? Now, one of the interesting things is you will see that this is the second time if you're studying Mark's account closely, that there have been people who come from Jerusalem. Mark 2 happened to be the other occasion. And what they have done, they've sent the professional critics in. Jerusalem was where Judaism was headquartered. That's where the temple was located. That's where the scribes were from. And they've sent these Pharisees up into the Galilee area to criticize Jesus. They know that his popularity is growing. They know that the common people are hearing him gladly. And so they've sent the professional critics in. And here's the thing that they found fault with. His disciples were eating bread with unwashed hands. 
And I know you mothers out there are saying, well, what's wrong with that? You're thinking, I always taught my children, before you eat, go wash your hands. That's not what this is about. This is a ritual cleanliness. In fact, if you'll notice, Mark says, in a special way, is the way they wash their hands. In the Old Testament, there were obligations, ceremonial obligations, that required washing. For instance, this morning in Luke, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 19, verse 10, I mentioned when the children of Israel gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai, they had to wash their clothes. In Exodus chapter 29, in verse 4, Aaron and his sons had to wash with water before they performed their duties. Exodus 30, verses 18 through 21, there was a bronze laver placed in front of the tabernacle and later the temple where the priest would wash themselves. And if you notice verse 21, so they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die and it shall be a statue forever to them, to him, his descendants throughout their generations. So there were ceremonial washings, but there was not a ceremonial washing like this in the Old Testament. This had become a tradition of the elders. It was a Jewish ritual and one not from God. When you get to verse 4, you begin to understand what's going on. It says that they did so after they came from the marketplace. Look with me again. When they come from the marketplace. What was the marketplace? That's where you could buy your food that you would eat. That's where you could buy your leather or that's where you could buy canvas. That's where you could buy furniture. That's where you could buy tools. That's where you could exchange your money. I've often said it was their Walmart. You could buy anything there. And in the center of almost every city was what we would call the, the square block. Most cities now we call it the courthouse square. But it was an area in the middle where people would do their buying, their selling, and their trading. And the people who were in the marketplace sometimes were Gentiles. Sometimes they were Samaritans. And the Jewish people said, before we eat, we've got to wash our hands. But I want you to notice the context. You see, if you just back up just a few verses to Mark chapter 6, and you look at verse 56, talking about Jesus, whenever he entered into villages, cities, or country, they laid their sick in the marketplaces and begged him that he might, they might touch the hem of his garment. And many as touched him were made well. You see, there were people out there, sick folks, who were touching Jesus. Oh, you start to see the, the wheels turning here now. It's not just about the disciples eating with one washed hands when they ate bread. It's because Jesus goes in the marketplace. He goes and touches sick people. He touches ordinary people. Oh, they can't have that. Because what this does, it speaks to the way they viewed other people. And here's a real problem. Because they viewed anybody who was not a Jew as worth nothing at all. In fact, they looked at them just like they looked at dogs. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 and 11, he's talked about children, and they looked at children a lot the same way. And Jesus said, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, 
For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Whether the little ones here refers to the children, which very possibly does, or whether it refers to those whose knowledge and understanding is little, Jesus came to save everybody and they just didn't appreciate that. Luke 18 verse 9, the Pharisee, he said he trusted that he was righteous and despised others. That's really what's behind Mark chapter 7 is their attitude toward other people. If you don't believe this is true, look at Acts chapter 10. Do you remember when Peter was called by the Lord to rise and eat in that vision? And he said he saw all kinds of four-footed beasts and not just the clean ones but the unclean ones. And Acts 10 verse 14, Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. That was a lesson about people. You drop down to verse 28, speaking to the household of Cornelius. He said, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Oh, the Lord now is making it apparent that everybody's soul is precious, everybody's is valuable. The Lord's going to discuss clean and unclean in verses 14 through 23. They had a ritual. They washed their hands. But it was not a religion. And you say, what do you mean? They had a ritual, they washed their hands. Didn't that relate to their faith? No, it related to their tradition, their ritual. You know, James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he said, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, this man's, he deceives his own heart and his religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion. Oh, there's a, a good religion and a bad one. Yes, there is. Now let's look as he goes on to verses 6 through 13 and talks about they developed a tradition, but it wasn't based upon truth. He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God... You hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers, cups, and many such things you do. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, and then Mark inserts, that is a gift to God, then you no longer allow him to do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. You see, if you survey this, verse 3, verse 5, he calls these the traditions of the elders. You go to verse 8 and he says these are the traditions of men. You look further and you find out in verse 9 and verse 13 that to, re, 
accept the commandments of men is to reject the commandments of God. The word tradition simply means something handed down. You may have a tradition in your family. For instance, you may get together on a holiday and all of you play a game together before you enjoy a meal. In your family, you may have all kinds of interesting traditions and uh, it becomes apparent year after year. I, for instance, I can remember my grandfather every time we sat down at the table. Before he would say the prayer, he would say, you see what we have to eat. If you're so minded to eat it up from us, then go right ahead. That was always what he said every time. It was a tradition. But you have to realize in religious matters, it depends on who is handing down the tradition. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, Paul says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But those were godly traditions. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Chapter 3, verse 6, We command you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition that he received from us. So there are good traditions and bad traditions? Yes. What's the difference? God's traditions are based upon truth. And His Word is truth. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. Psalm 119, 160. The entirety of your Word is truth. You have to be sure that you never elevate the opinions of men to be equal with the traditions or the truth from God. And there's a real danger in accepting man's traditions and man's commands. In the Old Testament, one of the saddest events was taking place when Jeroboam became the king of the northern kingdom. He could have been a good leader. But what he did, he started out and created his own traditions. In Hosea 5 and verse 11, Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by a human precept. If you're reading an older translation, because he willingly walked by a man's command. In Micah 6 and verse 16, the statutes of Amri are kept, all the works of Ahab's house are done, and you walk in their counsels that I may make you a desolation. He said, you people are listening to them rather than listening to me. And as we mentioned this morning, Jeremiah 10, 23, it is not a man that walks to direct his own steps. Now let's look at verses 14 through 23. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters man from the outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things which defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had entered the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? 
Do you not perceive that whatever enters man from the outside cannot defile him? It is, does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. Jesus goes to the very heart of the problem, the source. Their problem was they were focusing on externals rather than internals. And I'm afraid that that's very easy for us to do today. We can focus on what people see and think of us rather than on what is in us. When we sing a song, are we more concerned about the beauty of our voice? Are we more concerned about the praise that's in our heart? When you and I participate in doing a good deed, are we more concerned with people patting us on the back and saying, oh, that was a great job? Or were we more concerned that God gets the credit for the good deed that was done? They Jews, particularly the Pharisees, whom the Lord had deemed hypocrites, had focused so much on the external. Matthew 23 is a passage filled with the Lord's exposure of these people. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which in outwardly appear uh, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Oh, I'm beginning to see what the Lord's trying to say now. He looks at these people and he sees their concern. Why aren't you washing your hands? We've got to be clean. Lord said, but you're not clean. You're only concerned about the outward cleanness. You're not concerned about what's in your heart. Their disobedience to God's law and saying what we could give to our parents as Corbin was done so out of selfishness of heart. You see the Old Testament, the fifth commandment, Honor your father and mother meant that when your father, your mother gets old, it's your obligation, it's your responsibility to see that their needs are taken care of. And what the Jews had done, they had this idea that what you can do, you can designate a piece of property, you can designate some possession you have as Corbin that is devoted to God. But you see there was a loophole in that was that they could continue to use it the rest of their life. And so whatever they were going to allow mother and father to have as far as providing for them in their old age 
they would just say, well, that's Corbin. I'm sorry, I can't help you, Mom. I can't help you, Dad, because what I have set aside is for the Lord, and you can't have it. But I can continue to use it. The selfishness of heart. Jesus placed emphasis on the heart and what comes out of it. He talked about all of those sins that come out of the heart of man. And so what you're going to have to do if you want to correct it, you've got to address the corrupt heart. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Matthew 12, 33 through 35, it's those people who were criticizing Jesus on that occasion. He said, either make the tree good and its fruit good or the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. You see people who are practicing evil, it's because there's evil in their heart. That's what Jesus is addressing. Oh, you can make a big deal about the unwashed hands. But there's corrupted hearts that need cleansing. Numerous people criticize Jesus today. They reject his teaching on moral issues. They reject his teachings on the church. This, I think, is a real problem. You get into discussion with a person on a religious topic. And the phrase, I think, will pop out almost immediately. The truth is, what I think does not matter. What God has said, according to John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The words I have spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, we still live in a world today that criticizes the teachings of Christ. And if there's anything that we can do is we can remind ourselves and remind others what God says is what counts. Tonight, would you love to become a child of God? Is it in your heart to want to be obedient to Him? Do you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? If you do, because of your faith, repent of your sins, confess that faith in Him, and then be baptized. That's the teachings of numerous passages of Scripture. We'll be glad to sit down if anyone wants to go over those and to study through them. I've generally found in the audience most of the people have already heard those things many times and it's just a matter of urging. Are you a child of God who is, like the Pharisees, allowed your heart to become corrupted? And your religion has really become a farce. You've not allowed that to become a part of who you are and how you ought to live. What a wonderful privilege you have tonight to be able to ask God's forgiveness.
and know that he will forgive. Would you come as together we stand and sing?